Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. If you won the cup, would you put your kid in it and or would you eat or drink out of it? Obviously, you have to drink out of it in the dressing room. Like that's You're not grinding for 16 wins in the hardest tournament in sports and not drinking out of the cup. But, you know, knowing what has gone into that cup, are you putting your children and or food in that? Yes. Absolutely, right? A hundred percent. At the same time, probably. I understand exactly how gross it is. That's it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm having beer. I'm having poutine. Sticking my kid in that cup. No particular order. I don't really care. You can do two at once if you want. No, it's getting crazy now. <laughs> Dude, now I'm more curious. Are you putting your kid in the poutine or in the beer? Or are you putting the poutine in the beer? See, no, no, Brad, let's not. You know. The fact that's not the least crazy of the three. Ryan. Yeah, well, you know how I am about poutine. I'm yeah. very particular. That's fair. Well, the NHL season is over. The Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I jinxed everything a few episodes ago before the Stanley Cup final started by saying, well, at least the way Florida's playing, this is poised to be a really good series. And like, look, no disrespect to Florida. I've been very upfront about the fact that I've loved that story. I've loved Bobrovsky, you know, coming alive, et cetera, et cetera, the underdog, but that that wasn't close. No, that was about as lopsided of a cup final as you're ever going to get. And credit to Vegas. They put Florida outside their comfort zone. And we're going to get to all this in the actual episode, but it's, it, it, yeah, Vegas or sorry, Florida had Bobrovsky go cold and they lost Kachuk to injury earlier than even when he, he stopped playing. But Vegas, that that's a clinical team. That's one of the best assembled teams I've seen in a playoffs in a long time. Oh yeah, for sure. And I am very excited to see people take away all the wrong lessons from this. <laughs> and we're going to get to that. Well, uh, this is going to be a uh, significant episode, kind of uh, a whiplash of topics. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, uh, the world of the NHL and the uh, Stanley Cup victors, Vegas Golden Knights over the Florida Panthers, the NHL draft. We're doing some rankings this episode and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And Evan is off on his birthday. He's uh, he's taking this episode off. He has uh, some family obligations. So everyone wish Evan a very happy 49th birthday, we'll call it. He's not here. He doesn't listen to these. So no. we can rip on him all we, all we want. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be going through uh, something that we don't always do. But this year, we felt it was important just because of the wide range of uh, opinions on draft. We're going to be giving you our draft rankings. Brad and I are going yeah, to be going wi- through. wide range between me and you. Well, yeah. <laughs> as, as we discovered when I got here. <laughs> well, we'll we'll give people the primer on the rankings as we get into them, but we're going to give you uh, some of the first round's draft rankings. And then we're going to be talking about the Stanley Cup final, uh, the Conn Smythe Trophy, the storylines from Eichel to Marcia so to Aiden Hill. And uh, as Brad alluded to, how is the copycat league of all, all copycat leagues going to handle uh, seeing Vegas do what they did. Uh, there's news out of Grand Rapids and the Toledo Walleye as Dan Watson was named head coach there. So we'll talk about that. Uh, the long national nightmare is over in Ottawa as the senators are finally sold to um, maybe the most predictable buyer of all. And we'll see what else we get into before overtime. Before all that, I do want to let you know that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. 
patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club, you get benefits like access to our Patreon exclusive uh, bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. You get access to our winged wheel podcast official discord and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, for example, this, this past season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast, vast majority of them going directly to our Patreon supporters. They were excellent seats, too. We should probably sit in them one day. <laughs> uh, anyhow, you also help us support uh, this show, its continued growth and expansion, um, the, you know, kind of spinoff show that we launched, Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. In addition to that, our, our continued support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation in their fight against substance use disorder. Also, keep an eye out. The Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom, respectively. Uh, tickets on sale soon. Get yours uh, as soon as possible. Those will go fast. So the draft rankings, I'm going to be transparent about the process. We do them completely independently of each other. We don't talk about it for the exact reason of, you know, we want this to be our opinions. And even though we're very objective on the show, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know, we have no problem taking a jab at each other in jest or offering a countering opinion. And even if we have the same opinion, we often bring up the, you know, opposing view just for the sake of good discussion. But we really want to narrow in on, no, these are our rankings. We're not going to spoil it for you exactly. Uh, but when you hear Brad and I's respective rankings, understand that this is why we bring on so many respected guests from the world of hockey scouting, because there's going to be some uh, some crossover. And that's okay. At least when we're wrong, phenomenally wrong, Brad, we can be phenomenally wrong together. And as usual, Evan's going to be the only one who comes out with any semblance of truth or, or foresight in all of this. Yeah, he just took a central scouting's list, tossed it into a list randomizer, hit jumble, and that was what he went with. And it's probably right. Congratulations. You just named the uh, draft strategy for probably 7 to 12 NHL teams. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump right into it. We're going to give, I'm not going to cap it off, but I would say 20 or so numbers. And uh, another qualifier here, we focus a lot on the NHL draft on on the show, and that's because the Detroit Red Wings have been bad um, for as long as we've been doing this show, more than eight years now. But... Uh, as much as we watch a ton of tape and we don't give you any of our opinions without, you know, having researched these guys, which is why sometimes we go a couple episodes without doing a draft profile because we want to be able to give you our actual informed opinion through all that. Still, we are not the experts. Like we've brought on, uh, uh Scott Wheeler. We've had Corey Promen in the past, uh, uh Tony Ferrari, our favorite, uh, uh, draft analyst, good friend of the show. There are a lot of people who do this really, really well. Elite Prospects does a great job. There's so many outlets that do a great job, but this is just our our view. These rankings aren't necessarily a mock draft or a prediction, and they're not necessarily who we would want Detroit to take situationally, so keep that in mind. So all of those qualifiers uh, said, why don't we kick this off? First overall, Brad, can you enlighten us as to uh, who you would rank number one? I'm not even going to make the stupid joke. It's Connor Bedard. I, I'm not overthinking this one. It's Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard, first overall. It's unfortunate that we're not going to spend more time talking about this because it would mean we're having a really great summer if that was the case. But this is the in a draft where there's Mijkov, Fantilli, Carlson, and Connor Bedard makes it like you. You would be an insane person if you raised any other name. And it would be the biggest draft bust in modern NHL history if it didn't turn out this way. Like, that is just how good Connor Bedard is. Uh, spoiler, that's mine too. So thank you for copying me, Brad. 
Second overall is where it gets interesting. And remember, these are draft rankings. It does not take into account who's making the pick and necessarily how long this person is on contract for, not in the NHL. This is purely a talent-based evaluation. So number two, no surprise, Matvey Michkov. I mean, if this guy was in the last three, four drafts, maybe more, he's going first overall, even with the circumstance around Russia right now because he is just that talented, generational-type scorer. In my opinion, he's closer to Connor Bedard than he is Adam Fantilli. So... You know, if it wasn't for the contract, if it wasn't for the invasion of Ukraine, and if it wasn't for all the other factors going into it, you know, we're having a very, very, very different conversation leading up to this draft. Not, oh, will Mitchkov slip out of the top five? It's, hey, is there any team that might consider him over Bedard at one? Yeah, fully agree. The amount of talent that this guy has. I don't want to say it's all, you know, just the extenuating circumstances. A lot of it is also, you know, he had a, a poor start to the year dealt with some injury too. And it's always a little obfuscated when you're trying to evaluate in Russia, the, uh, the Russian kind of pipeline. You sometimes don't see you guys, uh, you don't get the same views on them as you would with the U S NTDP or the CHL. So I think that made it harder to really see Michkov's path. And I think there was a divergence between Bedard and Michkov. Bedard had a much better year. Michkov kind of went through it a little bit, but in my mind, the talent is still too good comparisons to some of the best Russian names you've heard in hockey are not crazy to make. That's how good Michkov is. This is a, not an opinion everyone holds. I know some people don't like removing the the fact that Michkov won't be able to play in the NHL for the next three seasons from the equation, and that's fair. You do have to actually evaluate that. If you're at the, the, the draft table as a scout and a GM, you have to factor that into the equation. For the sake of the ranking of the overall player, I also have Michkov number two. Third overall, any surprises? You going David Reinbacher here? Nope, Sadam Fantilli. I already feel guilty bumping uh, the kid, the you Michigan kid, uh, down from two. Yeah, but I mean, same statement as Michkov. How far back in the draft, in the yearly drafts, do we have to go where Fantilli doesn't go first overall outside of this draft? Right, like last year, he's he's number one for sure. The year before, he's probably still number one. Um. You know, the the quintessential hockey guy's hockey guy, 200-foot player, mean streak, unbelievably talented, whether that's playmaking, scoring, you know, just that prototypical 200-foot center who's going to do whatever you want with skill. I don't feel so bad bumping Fantilli down to three here. Uh, I feel bad bumping Leo Carlson down to four because yeah. you can make a lot of re- – there are a lot of years where Leo Carlson – I think last year, where he would be first overall. But yeah, I'm I'm also going to go with Fantilli. That kind of, you know, style of play with those puck skills, the positionality, the the NHL ready frame already. What does he lift listed at six two, nearly two hundred? Like that is a gimme for any team. And I'm assuming he will go second overall in all practicality with the draft once you factor in everything with Michkov. And that's what a gem, what a treat for a team who loses a Bedard lottery. Like that's going to be tough to lose a Bedard lottery, but Anaheim is going to be laughing all the way to the bank drafting Adam Fantilli. You know, we talked a lot on this podcast of, oh, what happens if Detroit gets Bedard? That solves so much. But truly Fantilli would have been not as big of a check mark, but 
how much would this franchise have changed if if Detroit won that second lottery spot? Like Fantilli really is, yeah, a lot of years would have been first overall. So I kind of spoiled who fourth will be for both of us. So I'm bold of you to assume. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. It's Leo Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might go Will Smith there. Uh, considered it, but no, it's Leo Carlson. And generally speaking, I find big forwards with skill often have the lowest hit rate of high first round picks because most of them just dominate junior due to their physicality. You look in previous years, uh, Lawson Crows, Michael Rasmussen, Quinton Byfield. That's not the case with Carlson. He was doing this against men. He's He makes his production through skill, not through size, not through physically overwhelming players. Although he is big and does use his body well, it is not what makes him good. So you get a talented, you know, six foot a million centerman who can skate, who can play make, who can score and did so, you know, in the SHL and then went and played a huge role for Sweden at the World Championships and looked great there doing that. Yeah, it almost feels unfair to have him at four because, <laughs> I'll repeat it, how many drafts do you have to go back, not counting this one where Leo Carlson also wouldn't be the first overall pick? Last two years, for sure. Yeah. He's he's the number one overall pick in those drafts. So, you know, we always talk about all year, well, this might be the strongest draft since 2015, and it's not necessarily because of the depth, although that is really strong in this draft. It's because the top of this draft is like, oh my God, loaded. Leo Carlson I, like it really was by a hair that he came in under Fantilli for me. I actually toiled over that one for a little while. Um, you know, I think if you're the Red Wings and with how prominent and talented their European scouting team is led by Hakan Anderson, Leo Carlson could very well, if Detroit was in the position of third, second or third, he could be the pick there. And I, I wouldn't blame them for that at all. All the same attributes uh, physically, as Fantilli, big frame, NHL-ready body. Uh, the skating is is the you know big question mark. I don't want to say question mark. He very obviously can play around it, but just does not have that kind of uh, blazing speed, to put it lightly. But yeah, his offensive acumen and just overall well-rounded game is he is going to make a team very, very happy. If you were to able to get Leo Carlson at third or fourth overall any given year, like that is what a treat. Um, and Frankly, to again looking forward a little bit in the rankings, you have to be really, really good to bump Will Smith down the rankings too. And I don't see it as a question of I know some people have Will Smith above Carlson. I can't do that in my mind. I think he's really close to Fantilli. Ask me on a different day and I might have put him above him. Uh I think the difference maker for me is I still don't know if Carlson can do what he does at center consistently at the NHL level. And not to say he couldn't be a very, very good center. But would he be better as a winger? So it's just the positionality for me that was probably the tie break, less than even the skating. But his yeah, his playmaking ability, his his puck skills, his the way he thinks the game offensively, like he's going to change a team's power play, or at least he should. So um, if you're you know one of our very many uh, Swedish contingent of listeners, and you're like he Carlson should absolutely be above Fantilli or even higher, don't blame you at all. It's a tight pack in my mind behind Bedard and, and Michkov in terms of talent. Number five. Is it going to get interesting yet, Brad? Or are you going to just do the same thing as me this entire time? <laughs> Ryan, this isn't the wild, wild west here. It's Will Smith. That was good. 
That's your one. Don't keep doing this. <laughs> Brad's pot. Okay, I, I have to give Brad a lot of credit. Draft analysis and prospect analysis, top notch. Pun game, unreal. I I had <laughs> Ryan had to explicitly ask me to not when we did our Matthew Wood draft profile because this is a family show <laughs> to which I obliged, begrudgingly obliged. Thank you. Yeah, that I do owe you one for that. To to ten percent of our listeners, that would have been the best episode ever, and um, I'm going to apologize to that ten percent. Yeah. But you can blame Ryan for that. That must uh, have been really hard. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning into the show. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us all about Will Smith at fifth overall. Uh, <laughs> Will Smith. I mean, your prototypical number one playmaking center. Um, I don't think he's got all the elements that the top four have, but the elements he does have are high end, um, especially his vision and the way he can control play in the offensive zone. I mean, he was the catalyst on maybe one of the greatest lines the US NTDPs ever saw. Um, and, you know, he was driving the bus on that line. You know, whatever you want him to do, whether that's five on five, ozone, D zone, power play, he can do it. I'm, I have reservations about the D zone still, but again, I tend to not overthink the defensive play of, you know, pure offense 17 year olds because that's something that can be taught. And when you're that talented, you can be taught it. So, yeah, big, big fan of Will Smith. You know, um, well, Montreal will be doing backflips if he falls to them at five. Uh, but yeah, to, to me, this is. To me, this is the last no-brainer ranking of this draft. I agree. I think if Will Smith was a winger, you can maybe start to pull other guys into the conversation. But even then, I, I just don't see anyone else coming close. Um, he's kind of in a tier of his own. I have the top, like Bedard is his own tier. Michkov, talent-wise, is his own tier in my mind. Ventili Carlson are together, and then Will Smith is is kind of that last like you said, no-brainer. You can delineate, you can draw a, a bold line under that. That also would have been an incredible haul. I, I'm sorry to keep doing this, but for the Red Wings, where Will Smith kind of moved up the board. I don't want to say late, but it became very apparent as the season was going on that he was going to go a lot higher, and then you saw him float away from Detroit's reach as you knew they weren't going to be picking in the top five based on how the season went. But he is going to be a really good pro center, Uh that USNTDP's team is so stacked. Like the amount of high end talent on that team is unreal to the point where Will Smith is not the premier or the standout uh, uh, pick for them. The only concern I have with Will Smith in the top five of this draft is the only team in the top five that has black jerseys is Anaheim. And it only makes sense that he would join the men in black. Yeah, you know what? I'll give you that one. <laughs> but no more. <laughs> Who's picking six? Arizona? Yeah. He's not getting that far. No. Our 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 dreams die today. Yeah. All right, let's go to number six. And I think this is where we start to we started to really toil over our rankings. So who did you land at six overall? Well, I I referenced arguably the greatest top line the US NTDPs ever saw. So how could I stray away from that? I went with Ryan Leonard. Um, despite you know, the the lack of skating compared to uh, some of the other players in the top 10. This guy has a mean streak that maybe only Adam Fantilli also has in my top 10. He he can play that Matthew Kachuk role. I'm not saying he's going to be Matthew Kachuk, but he can play that Matthew Kachuk role extremely well. 
Um, and unlike a lot of players who fill that role, he's got a laser beam of a shot. So he's not dangerous from just within, you know, 10 feet of the crease. You get him anywhere in that home plate area and it's a scoring chance. You know, he, he's got that vision. Um, he's got that grit. He's got that ability to be in the right spot at the right time in the offensive zone. Uh, if he gets any time to get a shot off, it's a scoring chance. And yeah, when you want someone like a Zach Hyman, a Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, one of the Kachucks to, to be the guy mucking it up in the corners to get, you know, some of your other stars, the puck, he can also do that very well. So, um, I, all that said, it makes him sound like a complimentary player and he's very much not, but he's the type of guy that if you put him with a top end player, so, you know, who's picking six, Arizona, you put him on a line with a Clayton Keller. Not only is Ryan Leonard going to be a very valuable player there, he's going to make Clayton Keller better just because of the nature of his game. So this one was really tough for me. Before recording, Brad, I had Leonard in this spot as well, but I told you he's by a hair, and I, I think I'm going to just, you know, take my my most recent thought, the coin is in the air, and I'm going to say Dvorsky here. And I'll probably change my answer if you ask me in person tomorrow, but for now, I'm going to say Dvorsky, and it comes down to one thing. He's a center. Ryan Leonard has, like you mentioned, unreal compete. Like, that is... Uh, He's kind of a, he matches a few teams MO and we're not going to spoil our mock draft that's to come out on Sunday. That's our Sunday episode. But what he can bring down the wing is, that would be a fantastic grab for Detroit at number nine, for example. But for me, Dalibor Dvorsky is uh, a guy who's dangerous in a few ways. He's really talented with the puck. I think he has a really good shot. He plays a a really responsible 200 foot game in my mind uh, and I, th- I believe that he's the kind of player who could stick down the middle. I know skating is a concern, but I think there's been progress on that front, on that front and I think it's the kind of progress that can be continued. So it all really comes down to me, can Dalibor Dvorsky stick down the middle? And I think he can. And that's why I, I have him ranked just that smidge higher than Ryan Leonard, but it really is a toss-up. And Dalibor Dvorsky doesn't get this ranking if he didn't have such a phenomenal U18, right? Like, his production in the Allsvenskan was concerning. It, it just was kind of topsy-turvy. It didn't really make sense based on who we knew him to be as a prospect, but that all flipped at the U18s as he put it, pretty much the entire team on his back. So I know recency bias is a, a little bit factored into it, but, you know, NHL frame, NHL premium position, I'm thinking about this from a Red Wings lens, even though I know I shouldn't, but yeah, I, I have Dvorsky by a little bit. Okay, uh, I'm assuming what your next pick is going to be. So seventh overall, who do you have? Dalibor Dvorsky. What do you think of him? I think he's, you know, that 200-foot jack-of-all-trade center. I My concern with Dvorsky is what if his traits would we consider elite? And I'm not sure any of them, but almost all his traits are very above average, like good to great skating leaves a little, little to be desired, but I wouldn't call it a hindrance. He's still able to do what he needs to do and he gets around the ice well. Um, but yeah, this is where you start getting into the guys that have the elite traits, have some obvious flaws or we're in the category of, yeah, okay, these guys, you know, they don't have an elite trait, but the overall package is really good. And now you're trying to differentiate between them. Uh, we're at that point in the draft. So, you know, I just, I really like 
the way Dvorsky processes the game and the way he's able to put it all together. So, yeah, I put him at seven. And as I mentioned, Ryan Leonard for me is the the one who's at seven. He is going to be like Dvorsky and Leonard are the first two realistic guys where they might actually fall to Detroit in my mind. And this is assuming the public consensus, which it never is, but that the public consensus is anywhere close to what reality is. Here's something that we uh, probably should have started off the top with. Neither of us really have the the Reinbacher, Sandine Pelica, or the top defenseman in the top 10 just by talent alone. That is not how this draft is going to shake out. I don't think you get to seven or eight without at least one of them going. There's a chance it's multiple. I think you see Reinbacher first. So if you're sitting here saying there's no way the draft is going to shake out without these defensemen or you're wrong for thinking too low of them, you're probably right. That's just where we fall on this. But yeah, in terms of who I would like to see Detroit take, Dvorsky and Leonard are the two first realistic names. I would be just as thrilled with either one for different reasons, but Leonard, you can see being a fan favorite very, very fast. I know I hate player comps more than most people, but uh, losing a Bertuzzi type, but bringing in a Leonard type would be, that would be a phenomenal outcome for the Red Wings. Eighth overall in your rankings. So that's the Washington pick, but for the sake of rankings, who do you have number eight, Brad? Oliver Moore. Okay. USNTDB guy. Uh, the more I thought about this, because I've I've gone back and forth on more in my head a lot. You know, the elite skating, the the ultra high compete, the really good hockey sense. You know, the shot and hands are, are good, um, but not anything special. You know, we've mentioned it before, the most Dylan Larkin profile in the draft since Dylan Larkin was drafted. And the more and more I thought about that, I'm like, well, Dylan Larkin in a redraft doesn't get out of the top five. So if I think Oliver Moore has a really good shot to be ve- to to be Dylan Larkin, you know I can't I can't not put him in the top ten, especially you know the way the NHL is going the the it's getting faster the the way you have to be able to process the game and the way you have to be able to process all three zones, he does it and he does it so damn well and I don't even care that he's five eleven just because the compete makes up for that so. Yeah, if you think the hockey sense is high end, like high enough that he can put up 60, 70 points in a year, like you're crazy if you leave him out of your top 10 at that point. Now, that being said, if you don't think the hockey sense is that high, then of course you drop him down your rankings. But, you know, I've seen people talking out both sides of their mouth on that one, and I never understood it. If you think this is a high hockey IQ, high compete, ultra fast 200 foot winger who's got enough sense and tools to put, you know, to help get some pucks in the net. That's a no-brainer top 10 all day, every day. So my uh, uh, next one here, eighth, is uh, a little bit different and it's a little bit hypocritical for me because I think this guy is ultra high risk and I don't know necessarily that he's on my preferred list over, you know, for example, Ryan Leonard for Detroit. But if he is the player he could be, a lot of teams are going to look very stupid and that's Zach Benson. Let's put this out uh, right out of the way he would look small next to myself or Brad. That's not to say, you know, small guys can't succeed. We're sitting here talking about Alex Dabrinkit and what can Detroit give up to bring him in. And uh, we were big fans of Matt Savoy who uh, got drafted shortly after Detroit. And, you know, we've been big proponents for don't pass up on insane talent and skill just because they're tiny. I think in a different draft class where there wasn't, you know, not just Dvorsky and Leonard, but there was also Oliver Moore and, you know, whoever you want to put up there, Braden Yeager, Nate Danielson, Sandine Pelica, 
uh, pro whoever, Benson would be the guy who a lot of people would be saying he should be going five, six, seven, and if he drops any further than that, then that's a big bonus for someone. Ultra talented uh, offensively, I think his his playmaking and the way he thinks the game offensively is like astounding. His production is really good. I know Brad, you're a big fan of Zach Benson as well. I imagine he's not going to follow too far in your rankings. He is, I think, listed at five nine, and he's not like a, a he's I think one sixty five one seventy. So he's not a massive guy. That said. I don't really see him as a player who gets bullied too much, but he's not been at the NHL level yet. The CHL and the NHL are two very different things, which is why I have the concern uh, about his frame. But it's 200 feet that he's effective. Like Offensively, he's extremely gifted. He could change a team's offense, but he's just as responsible in his own zone. He competes really hard. I think that's, uh, you know, you talk about the Steve Eisman way. He wins puck battles, kind of doesn't give a shit that he's tiny. I really like Zach Benson's game. I'm torn as to what I want the Red Wings to do with him, but he has he's tremendously talented, and I don't think I can drop him lower than uh, eight in my rankings. That that might honestly be a disservice. All right, number nine, Brad. Zach Benson. <laughs> Your yeah. thoughts? The arguably the most gifted, you know, playmaker in this draft. Um, if he was again, it sounds so cliche. If he was six foot instead of five nine. This guy's a top three pick. He he's just so good. And the weird thing with him and his size isn't that the concern for me is, you know, how can he take physical contact? Because man, he hasn't had to in the WHL. He's so good at avoiding contact and making the play before the contact. That's what I mean. That's and, not gonna be the same case, right? Uh, yeah, that and that's the risk. But that's the thing is he's so smart, so shifty, and so quick. He might, he might be able, like you put him out there against, you know, we'll use the Red Wings, for example, a pairing of, you know, um, Ben Schrott and Ole Mata. They're not going to touch him. It doesn't matter that they're bigger and stronger than him. And if they, and if they get their hands on him in the corner, he's not going anywhere. They're not going to touch him. Um, because, you know, you leave one guy open, he's going to find it. You give him, you know, an extra two feet of lane. He's gone. Like it's, it's remarkable the way he processes the game. And yeah. Highest risk of all the guys in the first round for that reason, because if he does, if he struggles to get that time and space in the NHL, it's going to be curious to see how he adapts. But yeah, I mean, just so, so gifted with the puck on his stick. Number nine for me is Oliver Moore, and he's one of my favorite players in the draft. All the reasons you said, Brad, tremendous speed. I would love number nine. Obviously, he's the Red Wings pick as it stands right now. I would love for Detroit to have that one-two punch of one-two-three punch of Larkin, Moore, Casper, in whatever order that shakes out in. Uh, I believe in his offensive ceiling. I think it's less of a guarantee than other guys that he could have that kind of offensive output, which is why there's a little bit more risk associated. And I can see Detroit going in a different direction, but without all of the talent ahead of him and the USNTDP, I think we would have seen a lot more from Moore. And so uh, that's a big. It's not a big swing. I think he's got a, a pretty significant floor as well with that kind of speed, but he could turn out to be way better than a ninth overall pick. Number 10. Take us away, Brad. Gabe Perot. All right. You do not put up those numbers in the USNTDP by accident. I don't care who your line mates are. He had more points than they did, each of them. Yeah. And we've already listed both of them in this top 10, which feels unfair to him. Um, smaller player, not super fast, not also super slow. I, I think people, when we say he's not, you know, great skater, that, that equals slow. That is not 
the case with Perot at all. Um, but yeah, just man, he can process the game around him like few other can at few others can at this age. Just you know, the the skills are good. The skills are really good, but like he just sees things other people don't. Yeah. That's just that's just what makes him special. He just gets it. He's just he's picking you apart before you even know you're defending him. It's crazy. I also have Pro Ten, and that's one that uh, you know for all the reasons we talked about Benson being small. Pro is very. Uh, I think the word that's been used is slight, and I think that's fair. That's the kind of NHL frame where you're like, I actually don't know what's going to happen if he gets boomed hard in the NHL, which is what NHL players do when they see someone small. They hit you actually harder than usual because it's a big boys league, and like it or not, that's still something that you are that you have to kind of be able to get through that ringer. So all the offensive ability that Brad said, but that 10 comes with a big asterisk for me. I just don't know the NHL translatability, um, but you can't ignore that kind of production. Number 11. Well, those who have been listening to this podcast for a long, long, long time know that my draft philosophy tends to revolve around ceiling. And I will always err on the side of the guy with maybe a little more risk, but higher ceiling. Now, my entire rankings are not ceiling, 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 and then you just kind of work your way down. Obviously, you have to factor in the amount of risk, style, and everything going into it. Um, and then, you know, kind of wait how much risk is worth this much talent. Okay. This guy has no risk, but the ceiling's this, and you know, it's, it's that juggling effect, but I always err to the side of the guy with the highest ceiling, which is why my highest ranked defenseman in this draft at number 11 is Axel Sandin Pelica. I, I, he is not as safe a pick as David Reinbacher and he is, and I understand that, but to me, the ceiling is so much higher. Again, you got to weigh the percentages of actually getting there. But Sandine Pelica is that, you know, 5'10", 5'11", defenseman that competes his ass off, is responsible, and dare I say good defensively, but has those gifts that I don't think anybody else in this draft has in the offensive zone from the blue line. So, you know, I, I, I've i professed over the years how much I love Eric Carlson and love his game, and I'm not saying Sandine Pelica is going to be that good, but... He he has that vision that that those Eric Carlson like traits where you can tell he just understands the ozone better than most defensemen ever will. So this is the point in the uh, pre-show conversation that Brad and I were having where we got annoyed because I also have Axel Sandin Pelko eleven. I think we could look very stupid for putting him under Reinbacher. I have the same kind of. Uh, um, thinking as you in terms of the offensive ability and the potential for that coming through would make him a completely different kind of player to what Reinbacher is that I think is inherently more valuable in today's NHL. And hey, look, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I played defense growing up. I love a defenseman who can actually can play defense. I love Eric Carlson. My biggest gripe with you know giving up anything to get Eric Carlson if you're the Red Wings right now in that crazy hypothetical is he can't play defense. Like He's so bad at it. So don't get me wrong. I really, really respect what David Reinbacher brings to to the table overall. And I think he, he might even be my preferred pick if Detroit somehow had the option for either. Um, and that would be the sensible thing to do. But in terms of overall ceiling, I think Sandine Pelicas is higher for the reason Brad said. Um, also, going to restate this. You don't get this far in the draft without an actual defenseman being taken. And we know that. Realistic chance they're both gone before this. Yeah. Number 12. What do you got, Brad? 
Well, speaking of high ceilings, this is probably a guy who's walked around in his life and hit his head off a bunch of them. Matthew Wood. (laughs) (laughs) Very tame joke. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I could have went. That was not the Matthew Wood pun you thought I was going to go with. No, no. here we are. Yeah. Um, Man, again, ceiling versus risk. I understand that all. His skating isn't great. His compete has been questioned, although I'm not fully there that that it's an issue for him. But the hands, the shot, the hockey sense. like Again, we talked about it. This guy's anywhere from Anthony Mantha to Tage Thompson. And if he even gets anywhere near Tage Thompson, every team that didn't pick him between like, you know, 6 and 11 in this draft would be kicking themselves in the head. So I, I think if you can get a guy with that much potential at pick 12, you got to take the swing there. And yeah, you know, Matthew Wood just, he he's going to shovel some pucks into the net. I was a coward on Matthew Wood in these rankings, and I think I'll pay for it, but I'm sticking to what I have. Uh, furthering the defense conversation, I had Ryan Bucker, 12, right behind Axel Sandin Pelica. Again, you can flip those very easily. You can shove them up the rankings very easily. Something else about Sandin Pelica is I don't understand how you have Ryan Bucker that high in some drafts and then Sandin Pelica that far behind. I, I think it's perfectly respectable and probably right to think that Ryan Bacher should be ranked higher because of how well-polished she is overall, but there's not that much disparity between the two, and that's one that's a little bit of a head-scratcher for me as I watch him, but more on Ryan Bacher. Extremely mature in terms of the way he thinks the game defensively at a young age, and that's a good sign. You think about what we liked about Cider, and no, Ryan is not Cider, but what was liked about Cider is he defended and he thought the game defensively extremely well, right off the hop in a pro league in the DEL in Germany. That's not easy to do. There's a, a, a rough rule of thumb that for a, to truly know the way that a defenseman can handle an NHL game from the blue line and in his own zone, he needs about 200 reps. Give him 200 NHL games and you'll know roughly what he is. So for guys who can come in and do it right off the bat, presumably, that's a really good sign. And he's not just really well-polished defensively. He also has an offensive aspect to his game. It's not Sandine Pelicas, and that's a difference maker for me. But I think he can contribute offensively in some pretty... Standard sounds reductive, but he's not like Eric Carlson, to put it lightly. He's not going to be like, uh, uh, you know, what the Washington Capitals version of Carlson. Like I think he's got good offensive abilities for a standard defenseman. He's not a game-breaking offensive player, and, and that's the difference. But... He could be like a minute-munching, reliable guy. If he ends up top pair, I think that's very well within his range of outcomes. But even if he ends up as a second pair, you know, everyday NHLer, that's a fantastic and, and very likely outcome for Ryan Bacher. So maybe too low on him, but I really like his game. So he, uh, that's where uh, I have him right at 12. It, it's funny. So at, at 13, I have David Ryan Bacher, and I have him way lower then most outlets have him ranked and I'm okay with that. Yet I find myself being the guy that's constantly like also saying, it's like, guys, you're selling his offensive side short. Like he, <laughs> he gets billed as this, you know, reliable defensive defenseman. And I'm like, yeah, he's great at that. But like, he's got offense too. Now I don't think the ceiling on Reinbacher is crazy, stupid high, which is why I have him at 13, you know, with all my biases included there. But yeah, he's he can move the puck. Now, the catch-22 where I don't like some of the comparisons that have come in with Reinbacher and Sider and all that is Reinbacher is doing this as a draft eligible, which is super impressive, but he's a late birthday. He's a year older than when Sider was drafted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
that being said, he's doing what you would hope a top 15 pick would be doing in their draft plus one year. So I don't, I really don't want to hold that against him. So it's this fine line with Reinbacher of, you know, don't sell his two way game short, but don't overstate his ceiling because he's so well polished. And that that's what it comes down to for me in my ranking on Reinbacher. Cause again, the, the one of his key attributes is getting so overblown, but then the other one is getting so undersold. It's it's one of the weirdest discourses I've had on a prospect where everybody seems to universally agree. <laughs> it's it, it's fascinating to me, but yeah, I, I still really, really, really like the player. But And the only reason he's at 13 for me is just because the guys I had ahead of him, I, I can see being legit game breakers, like star yeah. talent. And I don't, necessarily see that for Reinbacher, although I think he's going to be very, very good. So moving forward, uh, at 13, I have Nate Danielson. This is a guy come draft time I'll probably be higher on. Um, My questions as to why he's not higher, despite his good NHL frame, generally good, you know, shot, generally good level of of, kind of grind and compete. Uh, The fact that he plays center is just, I don't know what his actual ceiling is offensively and I don't know that he's gifted as gifted as the other guys above him but I'm starting to really come around on him um before warned if you're a Red Wings fans he's very much in the mix for that ninth overall pick for the Red Wings and he might even go before them so I have Nate Danielson 13 but that's another one where I feel kind of queasy about it 14 Braden Yeager okay uh very quick ultra high compete centerman with a bullet for a shot and pinpoint accurate Sign me up. Yeah, Braden Yeager is an easy sell at, at that spot. I actually have Colby Barlow in this spot, uh, a good all-around winger, a guy who competes like hell, and I think he was one of our early draft profiles, Brad, and you noted he can shoot in a way where the pucks just go in the net. He can score in a lot of different ways. Like He just finds a way to get the puck in the net, and I know that's kind of a, a an aimless platitude where you're like, what does that mean? There's guys who are pure snipers. There's guys who are just, they just crash the net. I think Colby Barlow does it all. Add the fact that he can skate well, he can move the puck well. I think this is uh, someone who I would not blame a team for for not reaching for. I don't think it would be a reach, but if he goes well above 14, I wouldn't be surprised. 15. 15 for me, I have Nate Danielson. Uh, Love the player, but... Man, this guy has, and this is no fault to Nate Danielson, but a large forward playing junior, and it's a and he's a late birthday, so he's a year older than most players in the draft. Scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I love his two hundred foot game. His offense isn't anywhere near where I I think a third year CHL player should be if he's being talked about in the top half of the first round. But I also wrestle with the fact that. Brandon was a terrible team this year and he did not have a lot of sporting cast. So was that production a problem because of him, because of his teammates, maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sold on Danielson in the top 10, but I think there's enough depth to his game that, you know, top half of the first round. So I've, you know, I've got him 15 here, obviously is, is perfectly reasonable. And at 15 for the reasons Brad stated, Braden Yeager. Starting to see a, a range here. Sixteenth overall, who do you have? Sixteenth overall, I've got Tom Willander. <laughs> you, you get a defenseman who can skate like he can, read the play like he can, and move the puck like he can. 
I understand the limited offensive upside, even though I think it's it, it's better than he gets credit for. But again, a, a right shot defenseman who can skate like the way to move the puck. That sounds A-okay to me. Tom Willander, same as me. Again, we were very annoyed at this, especially because it's such a weird spot to be uh, converging on defensemen. But yeah, Tom Willander for the reasons Brad stated. And there is a little bit of a Red Wings bias here. You know, Swedish shoots right, fits an exact area of need on this team. He's not heroic, but you can see where he would fit in. 17. Oh, you already said it all, so I'll just say it. Colby Barlow. Yep. Colby Barlow, again, this is about that range. And at 17, uh, I know we're going to disagree on this one, Brad. I have Samuel Honzik. I'm not sold on his ultimate ceiling. And if you are, he should be way higher. But I think his floor is really high. He's a guy who competes really hard. He shoots pretty well. Uh, I think he, he, this is a guy who should be, I think, an everyday middle six winger. And for you to be guaranteed that at 17th overall would be laughable to assume that. So by all rights, I'm giving this profile uh, of someone who should be going significantly higher. But Hanzik's game is growing on me. Um, I, I know there's talk of him having the physical attributes because he's like nearly 6'4", 200, or 6'4", 190, I should say. So good NHL frame. Um, if this is a guy who had already played center and was sticking at center for a long time, He'd be way higher in my rankings, but uh, Hanzik's a guy who a fits the Red Wings mold of what they like, especially when you think of you know the grind and the compete. But yeah, that's where I have him. Eighteenth, Callum Ritchie. All right, I mean a, a, a centerman with the skill that he possesses. If you can get that in the second half of the first round, questions uh, be damned. That is absolutely worth the risk. Matthew Wood, uh, I came in on 18, and that's why I said I was, uh, you know, a little bit of a coward with it. His upside is so high. I am, I think the risk is still significantly high, which is why I, uh, you know, wasn't willing to put him higher. But for all the reasons you said, Brad, I think he'd be a great pick. And at 19th, and again, this is, uh, oh, sorry, we already passed 17, which would have been Detroit's second pick as it stands right now. So for you, for you, Brad, that would have been uh, Barlow. Yep. And for me, that would have been, oh God, that would have been Hanzik. <laughs> All right, uh, 18, or yeah, sorry, 19, who do you have? Dmitry Simashev. Uh, you know, um, an unfortunate timing, timed defenseman where he is that, you know, just on the cusp of top tier defenseman in this draft, in a draft where the defense, top tier defenseman isn't elite, and there's not many of them. So I feel like the discourse around him has been really unfair both ways. Uh, I like his game. I like his game a lot, and I think there's probably more to it. I feel like he's the guy that I, I really feel like I agree with my own rankings here right now, which is why I ranked him this way. But he's also probably the guy I could be talked way up from where I have him ranked. You know, I have him at 19. If someone wanted to make a case for him at like, you know, 13, 14, 15, I, I could absolutely listen and understand that. Um, but yeah, just a very well-rounded defenseman with uh, better offensive upside than he gets credit for. And for me, this is where I put Richie myself uh, at 19. Um, I don't know. He'll be in the mix for Detroit at 17 if they keep that pick. I could see a team reaching on him. I just don't know how much higher. And at 20th overall, who do you have, Brad? Samuel Hanzik. Okay, so you're not that much lower. We're, I'm not that much lower. This is about the point in the... My top 19 is that category where I will classify them as I really like the ceiling. 
Yeah. I really like the ceiling. Even if some of them, like a Cal Ritchie, are, you know, a little longer shots to actually get there, but it's there and it's within the realm of possibility. Now I'm in my tier of, I really like these players, but I'm not sold on, on like a super big upside. So now I'm talking about my, the guys who, you know, have the more well-rounded games and are going to be, you know, this, that, you know, hockey platitude, whatever you want to say. And to me, the best player of that category is Samuel Hunzik. Again, he's a gigantic late birthday playing junior hockey. Always a red flag for me. Always. Because those, as I mentioned earlier. You just hate me. Just admit it. No, it's fine. But th- this is the type of draft profile. When you look back historically in the first round, these are the guys that hit the least. Like the the guys who physically dominate junior and then they get up against guys their own size and they do not keep up. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen with any of these guys. Otherwise, I wouldn't have them ranked in my first round. But it is a big concern for me. Um, you know, and again, Hunzik's not a guy who's good because of his size. But I think he gets elevated because of his size, no pun intended. So um, I, I really, really like the player. At number 20, I think that's fair for me. Uh, obviously, given that I have him at 20, he would not be a preferred pick for me at either of the Red Wings picks. But if the Red Wings take him, I'm not flipping a table or anything like that. He's going to be a good player. And at 20 for me, I have Simashev. Uh, and I think also, you know, that's a guy who could go higher. My thing is he doesn't blow me away in any single way, but if you can see a guy being a steady everyday second pairing defenseman, that's someone who you run to the stage four in the mid-teens. Okay, uh, just to recap quickly, Brad's list, Bedard, Michkov, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, Leonard, Dvorsky, Moore, Benson, Perot, Sandine, Pelika, Wood, Reinbacher, Jaeger, Danielson, Willander, Barlow, Ritchie, Simashev, and Hanzik. And then for myself, Bedard, Michkov, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, Dvorsky, Leonard, Benson, Moore, Perot, Sandine, Pelika, Reinbacher, Danielson, Barlow, Jaeger, Willander, Hanzik, Wood, Ritchie, and Simashev. Edward Shala didn't make it on those lists, and I think that a lot of people might be thinking about that. There's a lot of guys, but for now, that is our 2023 NHL draft ranking through the top 20. Let's talk Stanley Cup. It wasn't close. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Vegas wins in five games. That last game, what was the final score? 9-3 at the end? At no point in the series did Florida look like they were, you know, definitely the better team. You know, there's games against Boston. There's obviously most of Toronto and and Carolina. Like, Florida asserted themselves. They, They disrupted the other team's game plan in the first three series, but Vegas controlled this through and through. Hill was rock solid through and through. Vegas had probably five different guys who could have won the Conn Smythe. Clinical performance. The uh, Another textbook team, big defense, who can all play. They're not there just because they're big. They can all play. And then a lot of skilled forwards, and they, they play a, a tight system that everybody buys into. So get your skill up front. Get your monsters who can play on D and have a coach who can get everybody to fully buy in. Yeah. This is the recipe for success and that's why there were, you know, four maybe five legitimate candidates for the Con Smythe off of one team. So I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the Con Smythe and, you know, the Copycat League part of this, but I want to spend a very quick second here on the argument around is this good for hockey? Is this fair because of the way the expansion draft rules were were set up? And I I want to say a couple of things. This is good for hockey. 
It flat out is. Look at the scenes outside the arena at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. Like they had, it was jam-packed because they knew they were going to win the cup. Like that is, those are all brand new hockey fans that didn't exist, you know, seven years ago. That is a win for Vegas. That is a win for the league, plain and simple. I don't like pretending that anyone could do what Vegas did. They were given a more advantageous starting point than any other expansion team in NHL history. And to call a spade a spade, no pun intended, Vegas was given a more advantageous point than a lot of teams had in the, that existed in the NHL. You can probably grab a good handful of teams who at the point where Vegas came in said, I would also like to completely delete my roster and have an expansion draft. That sounds great to me. That said, I don't like, this wasn't handed to them. I know people aren't going to like to hear this, but they paid a handsome sum for this and the rest of the owners in the NHL took it because they got a portion of that expansion fee. They got money for it. The NHL doesn't survive the way that they do or as easily through the pandemic without the expansion money from Vegas and Seattle. The NHL, the growth of the game doesn't happen without them. How does that affect the on-ice product? I know it doesn't, and I'm talking, I'm mixing big business and hockey here, but it's a, it's somewhere in the middle of where this argument has been. I refuse to accept that this is bad for the game, and I also refuse to accept that this is um, something that any team could have done. I will say, even with that advantageous position, I think Vegas went balls to the wall with how they handled it, and it was not easy to do. So this is where my old ass is going to be, be the, the negative one on this because I'm, I'm happy Vegas won it, and I think this should be good for the game because this was a championship built on stupidity. Vegas exposed the rest of the league, and if this were any other sport or any other professional league that wasn't run – by, you know, the same basic hockey dude cloned 28 times, there would be lessons to take from this that would improve the league. Vegas did not have, like, they had a better expansion uh, format than teams in the past, but it wasn't great. They were taking your, if you, if these teams did none of the stupid shit they did in the expansion draft, Vegas would be taking everybody's fourth best D or a third line forward. You They could have had your eighth best forward or your fourth best defenseman or a goalie or your backup goalie. How the hell is a team going to compete full of third liners and second pair D? Well, guess what? Vegas exposed the stupidity of the rest of the league and used it to their advantages to take on bad contracts and all that. Like Florida gave uh, Vegas Jonathan Marcheseau to take Riley Smith's contract in the Expansion draft. Jonathan Marshall won the con Smythe and Riley Smith scored the cup winning goal against the Florida Panthers. Like this league is getting absolutely exposed over the last six years by what Vegas did. And I remember looking at all the takes from six years ago when, Ve- when Vegas was about to start their first season. I think their average ranking in the predictions was like 29 or 30. Nobody thought this was going to be a good team. Yeah, don't look at what mine were. Yeah, no, nobody thought they were going to make it to the cup final in their first year. Nobody thought they were going to make the playoffs. Nobody even thought they were going to sniff the playoffs. And this is where I'm going to transition us into the copycat league thing because it's very relevant to the point I'm making. Yeah. Vegas realized what they had very quickly after one season. And, you know, obviously you made the Stanley Cup final stupid. It's going to smack you in the face. No shit they noticed. Who was the first team to beat them in Vegas? Detroit. Yeah. 
This wasn't that the Anthony Mantha winning goal? Either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going back to a different <laughs> dark timeline. So here's the lessons that um, everybody should take from this and half the teams are going to misunderstand. You should be aggressive. You should go out and acquire Jack Eichel's and Alex Petrangelo's and Mark Stone's when they become available. You should give up a premium to do so when they become available. You should absolutely be aggressive in altering your lineup for the better at every chance you get. Now, everybody listen to me. Wait, wait. I know what you're thinking. This is a Red Wings podcast. I know what you're thinking. Wait. <laughs> when you're good. Detroit's not there yet. Ottawa's not there yet. If you are not a playoff team, you do not have this luxury. You should not be going out there buying, trading, and, and acquiring everything. Because guess what? You still have too many holes to fill. Vegas had a Stanley Cup final foundation of a team. They were a good team. And all they had to do was acquire these elite pieces to take them to a great slash elite team. Yeah. Every team should be aggressive in acquiring good players when they're available. If the price is right, you know, Detroit's the weird one because they're on the up and up. And obviously we're very pro get to bring it and. You know, teams like Detroit and Ottawa, they're on that cusp of, all right, we're getting very, very close to the let's do what Vegas does. But if you're this crap Columbus has been pulling, they, they're not the team to be doing that. They're not that guy. If you're Philly, Anaheim, Chicago, one of the basement feeders, you don't even think, you don't even dream of doing what Vegas is doing because you need that foundation to build upon. Whether or not the Red Wings have that foundation, that is you the listener up to your opinion. I think they're close, not there yet. I think they need to start building that foundation, which to brink it would be a lot of these prospects would be, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the lesson from the copycat league, the lesson from Vegas, be aggressive. When you are a good team, futures mean shit to you. Cause by the time most of them pan out, you're, you're going to be getting out of your window. So how much is like a 19 year old going to do for you when you have one to two more years yeah. left in your window? When, once you're in your window, that's it. That's, that's the lesson. That is the lesson. There's no other thing. Yeah. You can copy how this is how they build their defense, you know, Vegas, Tampa, very similar structures and how they built their team. And yes, there's probably a lesson to take from that, but I feel like this one's been pretty obvious since Tampa started making all their runs. So, you know, that's not like Vegas's model snuck up on anybody. Yeah. Um, but how they got there was very different. But even Tampa, when Stevie was there, they were a very aggressive team in acquiring guys. So they also had a huge foundation of success when when he started being aggressive. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be fascinating what this does to the NHL. The flat cap does it no favors. But if Vegas can get back to the finals next year or maybe even go back to back the year the salary cap goes up, like this is the problem. This happened one year too early. Oh. Could you imagine if Vegas wins the cup oh, next God, year with the what they chaos did? Chaos next off and a, and a five six million dollar boost in the salary cap. Holy shit! Austin Matthews is on the tape. Like, oh, it would have been so good. Ju- July first, twelve p.m. I would have to be sitting there with my phone charged, laptop charged, TV on. I am not moving from this couch. Crystal for, and the kids at the yeah, spa. Like, yeah, like I am not moving for the next six days. Nothing's gonna stop. Yeah. But half the teams are gonna, that are going to be doing that are going to be absolutely in the right to do so. And the other half are going to be making colossal mistakes and the chaos will be amazing. Yeah. The part that really stuck out for me was we get really hung up on futures. And as a, uh, a podcast that's been covering a team very closely that has sucked forever, 
we tend to overinflate the value of draft picks. So the idea of trading futures is scary to us. This is what trading you futures early gets you. Um, and there's a bigger conversation to be had about this in the offseason. I will say something that's going to come up in the offseason, and we're going to have a big conversation about this, is we can't ignore zero income tax state, um, desirable location to live in. And I think this is a very poignant, even more pre- uh, 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 kind of prevalent issue in the NHL because it's a winter sport. So your locale, the temperature and stuff, that matters more during your you know working months. It's the I think the NHL has to find a way in the future to offset a little bit of that if they want to find true parity. I don't know what that solution is, and that's for some of our off-season stupidity episodes, but stay tuned on that one. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau, outstanding, outstanding playoffs for him. He won the Conn Smythe, uh, tied for the lead in goals with Leon Dreisaitl, which is a hysterical thing because they he beat Leon Dreisaitl in the second round. So holy shit, Leon. Uh, behind only his teammate Jack Eichel, who probably would have been my pick for the con Smythe. Um, I think I, a lot of Eichel's game was underappreciated just because it wasn't goals, but you can't be mad at Marsha. So getting it against the team who gave him away in front of them, uh, outstanding playoffs for him. And he's an original golden Knight, And you know, that narrative means something and it does to the fans, his embrace with Eichel, like they knew it could have gone to either of them. I think Aiden Hill also, would have been a, a really great pick. If it was him from the start, I, I don't know that you could have not picked him. Um, but yeah, I, I Vegas probably had between those three, Petrangelo, uh, Mark Stone. You, you guys know how much I love Mark Stone. You want to throw Chandler Stevenson's name in there for some third place votes. Like there's a lot of guys who could have taken it off the Golden Knights. Yeah. And again, this is how you know you have a good team. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, Eichel versus Marcia. So I could have been talked either way on that one. I think it was a two horse race. It, it's nice to bring up Stone and Hill and, and all them just, just to make sure we're giving credit where credit is due. But when we're talking about actually winning this award, it was Marcia. So and Eichel, those, those were the two, it was 50, 50 for me. So the fact that Marcia, so won it totally okay with, um, and he was an OG golden Knight, which you could tell was a big deal. Cause if you notice the order, they handed the cup in after Mark Stone, it was all the OGs. Yeah. Like they literally ran through all the original Golden Knights before anybody else touched the trophy. Um, and so, you know, if, if that's the better storyline uh, for the Consmythe is one of the OGs, cool. I feel like Eichel's redemption arc would have been a better storyline, but that's more for a national media. I think in Vegas, the Marcia So Consmythe means more. Yeah. I, yeah, it's. An outstanding, you you saw this coming from a mile away, like just an outstanding result for Vegas and one that they completely earned. I think Florida, once they Bobrovsky wasn't able to kind of withstand the offensive firepower that they brought and Kachuk was hurt. Every team has a laundry list of injuries, so we won't go into, you know, who was more hurt or anything like that, but none of that offsets just how effective Vegas was. Uh, Jack Eichel, you know that, like, but I think Buffalo did really well in that trade. I think they did. I don't like how the organization handled the Echo thing, but I can understand the perspective the entire time. Uh, and I think they came away doing well, but I thought the grave dancing was very premature. I've said this. I don't understand why people were so willing to write Jack Eichel off when he was one of the best players in the world, or at least in that uh, among the top few tiers. You had to give him some time to get healthy, and in his first playoffs, he arguably could have or should have been the Smythe winner, led the entire playoffs in in points, was... Marcia so doesn't win without Eichel's contributions. 
uh, on the ice next to him, which is stating the obvious, but what a story for him. And the first $10 million or more player to win the Stanley Cup. Good for him. I'm happy to see Eichel win. I, I love Buffalo booing him. I love him being a heel to the Sabres. I love the rivalry. Like I, I have no problem with any of that, but I love the fact that he has kind of stuck the finger to people who are willing to write him off early. Mr. Never played a playoff game to Mr. Never lost a playoff series. Unreal. Unreal run for him. Okay, uh, more on that in the future, but for now, uh, some other Red Wings news. The vacant position in the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, organization has been uh, filled. Dan Watson has been called up, so to speak, from the Toledo Walleye. Uh, he has been an outstanding head coach for them. The the Walleye um, have had a really good run of form here, especially for the past little while. And uh, their strong season and strong playoffs that ended in the conference final see him rewarded with the AHL job up from this ECHL. Uh, I'm going to link an article in the description of this episode. Max Boltman wrote one, uh, wrote a piece shortly after Watson was announced that um, you can reference for some more details. But uh, while I have been to um, at least the third round of the ECHL playoffs in their last three postseasons, that was only interrupted because of COVID. Uh, he also, and this is a big point, he has a lot of familiarity with Derek Lalonde. Um, he was, uh, uh, Watson was on the loan staff when Lalonde was the coach of the Toledo Walleye from 2014 to 2016. So that kind of familiarity is important. I don't think it's like the be all end all, but to have kind of an organizational standard in terms of coaching is important, especially when so much of your NHL team success depends on the pipeline. So you think about, uh, the Babcock Blashill era, that was a thing. And this is, you know, the Red Wings aligning a little bit. Uh, Sabrango had a good quote uh, saying he'd go to war for him and Sebastian Cosa, and like that's a really big one, really liked him as well. Uh, this is a player's coach, a guy who connects really well with his guys. And for a coach who has to develop players, that's what you want to see, right? Depending on where every Red Wings prospect lands, not all of them are going to be in the NHL, at least not right off the hop. So they need to have a good system to not just be successful in the A, but develop well in the A. And, and it, by all rights, it seems like that's the move Detroit made. No, it, it all makes sense. It's it's one of those situations, and we make the joke on the podcast a lot, don't overthink it. You have a guy right there who's meeting all the qualifications and you know jumped every hurdle you'd want to get a promotion. So yeah, you look outside the organization just for the sake of comparison, but ultimately he's your guy. You know he's your guy. He's performed. And he's got familiarity. So, you know, doesn't seem like it was too tough a decision. Yeah, so... Happy to see that that came through. I think there were, there could have gone a few different directions, but especially once you can start to consider the prospects, the alignment, his familiarity with Lalone, Sebastian Cosa, and not that the head coach informs a lot on how a, a, a goalie does. That's more on the goalie coach, which stay tuned on that one. But it it was a very sensible next step, like you said, Brad. Okay, the Ottawa Senators, last topic here are finally sold. Everything has to be approved. They have to pay a lawyers a bunch of money to say things that they already know. I'm sure. Just kidding. If you're an attorney listening, I am just jealous of your wealth and the fact that we can't afford an NHL team. Uh, but uh, it looks like a 950 million US dollar sale was made of the Ottawa Senators to Michael Anlauer, who is a current minority owner of the Montreal Canadiens. So he'll have to sh- sell that stake uh, in a bid that was headlined by Ryan Reynolds and Nico Sparks and Snoop Dogg and seemingly every other celebrity, the NHL and the Melnick family ended up going with a known quantity here for a price that was within range of what was being predicted. 
there are complications in terms of the debt that the senators held and the uh, the whole arena deal thing, how much of that was to be factored in. So we're not going to go into legalese here, but one, what an incredible profit uh, for Eugene Melnick's daughters who inherited the team. Uh, two, phenomenal for every owner across the NHL that the senators with all of their liabilities and things get that kind of price. Like every owner who has any sense of trying to get a valuation of what their team is, is, uh, is looking at that really closely. But three, the NHL will not want to go through this again, but do not conflate that with this was a bad thing. I know it was a messy process, but let's be real. The Ottawa Senators, by all rights, should not have sold for $950 million U.S. million. There's big arena questions. There's a lot of expenses coming up for who this new owner is. They're not guaranteed to own the land that the, that the next arena is on. There's debt with the team. They drove up the, this whole process being messy still drove up the price. You know my line, I don't cry for billionaires. I don't cry for millionaires. The Melnick family made out great on this and, you know, not counting the the loss of a loved one, like the, the turn of profit that they made off of this is, is significant and good for them. That, that, I mean, that's what they sought out to do. But, um, at the same time they came out with the already part-time NHL or, uh, part NHL owner, uh, team owner. The league is going to not let this get that messy in the future. They're going to try to learn by leveraging, you know, the Ryan Reynolds, the celebrity factor and using that to drive up the price. Like they did probably getting a good hundred to $150 million more than maybe fair valuation would have been, but they're not going to let it turn into a circus again, or at least that's not what what they're going to try to do. And the reason this is relevant is because expansion is on the horizon I think I told Max the other day that I would wager by 2030 we have have or have plans for 36 teams in the NHL. That's a conversation for a different day. I don't necessarily love that, but this was a not how the NHL planned for it to go. No, the process was messier, but this is exactly how the NHL planned for it to go. Is it not the most NHL thing imaginable to have Something and someone fun and cool like Ryan Reynolds, Snoop Dogg, The Weeknd involved. Something that would grow the game. Something that would give lots of attention. And, you know, it's this new, cool, exciting thing and all the possibilities. And they do the boring thing with the guy that everybody already knows that's already involved. Eh, It's the most NHL thing imaginable. And I'm not saying that it was or wasn't the right decision. Because again, I don't know the the details behind, you know, uh, all the other bids and Nico Sparks bid and et cetera, et cetera. But man, the NHL is literally turning into a parody of itself at this point in every way imaginable. And the whole process to get to exactly where everybody predicted it was going from the start was too long, too complicated, and everybody hated it. This is the most NHL thing imaginable. Well, at least they're consistent. It does stand to reason with the way this played out with the predictable outcome, but everything in the middle being so wild, you know, galaxy burning this, this is what the NHL did. They saw an opportunity with very high profile bidders and they were like, well, how do we get this very reasonable businessman who knows the fair valuation of this, uh, to drive up his price, to bring in outsiders who are desperate to break into one of the most insular sports ownership groups in the world, and then just make him match that price or in that range. And then we don't get an unpredictable wild owner, which the NHL hates, hates. 
They hate new owners. They hate people they don't know. There's a story that went around um, uh, a lot of times when Winnipeg came onto the scene and, and Winnipeg ownership spoke up in an uh, early ownership meeting after they had gotten the team from Atlanta. They basically got told to pipe down by Jeremy Jacobs, uh, the <laughs> owner of the Boston Bruins. Like, hey, you don't get to speak here. You don't control this room. Like, That's the way the NHL ownership group works. So the shot of an outsider coming and getting it was low from the start. And eh, look, you got to be smart to be running a multi-billion dollar enterprise. No, you don't. A lot of people who are run multi-billion dollar enterprises <laughs> are smart. And, you know, the the smart business people and lawyers in the room are the ones who would think, yeah, let's use the outsiders to drive the price up for the people who we actually want. Anyhow, congrats, senators, I guess. Now is, uh, I think, next step is for Steve Steos to take on either president of hockey operations or, sorry, Pierre Dorian, a GM job. Um, we'll see how that one plays out. But, hey, that's a divisional rival for the Red Wings, which is why it's relevant. Okay, uh, we're going to get this uh, to Overtime. Overtime is our segment where we read out uh, fan questions, comments, and rude remarks specifically to Evan uh, on uh, every episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. And it's brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to support the show, uh, have a chance to have your comment read out in either the uh, main show or the bonus episode Overtime thread. Uh, you get the access to the bonus episodes, the Discord, the giveaways, and you support us doing uh, a ton of great things. Um, if you like the show, this is the, I mean, the best way to support if you're able to. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast to join the dub dub club. Uh, lots of really great questions here. Hard to choose. Uh, let's start from one. Let's start with one from username. Dylan Larkins. Nana says Michkov is three years away. Anyone drafted at nine is probably two years away, but who in this draft class is one year away and which has the best chance to fall to nine. All right. So everybody that will be. In the NHL within one year. I'll just run through it because that's probably easier in my head. Bedard will, Fantilli will, um, Carlson will, Will Smith probably will, Ryan Leonard will. Dvorsky I'm not sure about. I think he's got a chance. Oliver Moore not sure about. think he's got a chance. Zach Benson no way. Um, Gabe Perot probably not. Reinbacher probably will. That's probably about as far as I'm going on that. If you want to go off the board and think of specifically one year away, so not next season, but the season after, think of guys who play with an NHL frame or NHL play style who are a little bigger. So you can factor in. Yeah, like, but even at that, Matthew Wood still got a lot of refining to do. Danielson. Ha- Danielson. Danielson being a late birthday, I maybe. Know, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um. Hanzik again, late birthday, maybe because they're already a year ahead. But even then, I'm not sold that that's going to happen. Uh, what's the motto? Says, hey, Dub Dub crew, new patron. What's the motto? Thank you so much for your support and welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Says, been listening for years and wanted to thank you for all the great content you provide. Uh, during these slow months with no Red Wings content, I've been staying busy playing NHL 23 with my franchise and enjoying my one night a week playing beer league hockey. Curious if you guys still play the NHL video games. Also, I know Brad uh, still plays hockey. I want to know if Ryan and Evan play in any competitive or beer leagues. Just curious how involved in hockey you are besides being a Red Wing fanatic myself. <laughs> Brad plays a religious amount of hockey. like the When I can. When he can. That has slowed down a lot with two kids. Yeah. Um, I've slowed down on playing the NHL, like the EA NHL video games, but I still do pick them up when they go on sale and play. I know they're the same every year, but it's what you grew up playing. 
my beer league play has been so sporadic and it's my, and that has honestly coincided quite a bit with the podcast. It's like your free nights of the week are taken up and with scheduling, but I've made it my goal to do it more because eventually you just get bored of your home gym and you want to stay in shape in another way. So, uh, and Evan does, uh, not play or no, he still plays. He's got a once a week beer league. Yeah, no, but I, I mean like the, like the, if they release a game on PC, he'll play it. Oh, probably. Yeah. I don't, I don't even own a video game console, so I, I don't play yeah. anything. You had the original Atari and that's it. Probably. I think <laughs> I still got a PS1 packed up somewhere. Yeah. Uh, beer league defenseman says, what's the one piece of equipment? Sticks, training aids, any other accessory you wish you had when you first started playing. I'm going to go first on this one, Brad. Proper information on nutrition and training. I was a very slight kid, and that's why, like, I was hurt. Like, I, I got a lot of concussions, and I have a messed up I thought back. he said piece of equipment. No. I, no, no. He said sticks, training aids. Oh, yeah. These are physical objects. I am yeah. cheating. Yeah. But had I known the value of those things when you are a kid— I would have stuck with it longer. I would have had a better shot. Like I just wasn't strong enough to be playing at the competitive levels I was at. I was relying on my feet and my brain, which will take you far. But if you want to go anywhere in hockey as a kid, you cannot be at a physical disadvantage to the extent that I was. Yeah. So I'm going to answer the actual question here. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, I I agree with what you're saying and I could have absolutely used it because I didn't start going to the gym until my twenties. Um, but um, not even technology or know-how, just the knowledge with sticks has really shaped, yeah. uh, the difference in my game, at least as of late, um, growing up me and everybody else, we basically used two by fours for sticks, stick stiff as hell, like, w- which is comical because you buy a stick and when you're shooting, the point of the stick is to flex. Mm-hmm. And yet 75% of people are using a stick that's too stiff for them. So they're spending all these money on the on on the one piece sticks and not even utilizing it properly. Like I'm a 175 pound man with what I would consider an above average shot for my size, and I'm using a 70 flex, and I'm not breaking them. Very very rarely do I break a stick, and everyone I have broke has not been off a shot. It's been chopped or or what at first. So if I would have known as a kid how to buy a stick with proper flex rather than using the whatever 100 flex cut down piece of shits that I used it would have been life changing I didn't have a shot till I was like 14 yeah and I think that has a lot to do with it you know I got a 7 year old daughter she's I have to cut it down but she's using a 10 flex that I'm probably cutting down to a 15 flex like and her shot at at her age is light years ahead of where mine was. Yeah. And to steal Brad's answer and also answer the question we've discovered this live on air on this show is for me, even being small and weak, it's like as a kid, then uh, I couldn't shoot because I was also using a two by four and coaches used to tell you, oh, you want to use a 55 flex? What are you a baby? And it's like, well, then you would go to like a 75 or an 85. 55 was too much even for me as a kid. Like you needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I grew up, I went from wood sticks to composite sticks at the age that I started playing competitive hockey. And then it was just game over. Like I'd never stood a chance. Yep, 100%. Uh, Neck says, I'm really high on Amadeus Lombardi, and I really hope he can make the team in the next few years. He also reminds me of Datsuk. What are the strengths and weaknesses of Lombardi, and why does he have such a sweet name? Because his parents were awesome. Yeah. Strengths, skating and playmaking. 
Guy can fly, and the guy can read the play as he's doing it. Uh, weaknesses, he's about my size. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, that's it. Uh, this one from Babe Landiscock says, what rule do you want to see eliminated from the NHL first of the following? Offside, goalies can't fight, no salary cap, no shootout, or goalie interference. Roughing can still be called, though. You're honestly going to say offside before the shootout, Brad? Yes. You're sick. Yeah. You're twisted in the head. 100%. I think, you're, I think you need therapy. I don't mind the shootout. I just want more overtime before we get to it. No, no. The, shootout, the shootouts are fun. They just, they need to be like the absolute beyond a shadow of a doubt. We've exhausted all options. Okay. This is what we have to do. Cause we're not sitting here all night. I just can't abide by more. Like, first of all, I think it's insane to get rid of offside. I, I, I think you're crazy. And I think we should fight physically about this. I'm down. I'm not, you know, I don't fight fathers. <laughs> I don't fight people who have living things to, to live for. I will lose every time, but. The shootout stopped being fun for me a long time ago. I agree a good half measure. Like I I would prefer perpetual OT. Like players would yeah. hate that because injury and exhaustion. So it's yeah, not exactly. reasonable. Everybody prefers perpetual OT. But when you've got like a back-to-back and you're, you've got a flight out for the game the next day, yeah, you have to end it eventually. Yeah. And that's where I'm okay with the shootout coming in. Five minutes does not justify it. 10 minutes yep. and then shoot out. Exactly. I don't want ties to return. A hundred percent. Fully on board. Uh, okay. This last one here is a really good question from Squid734 says, the playing style of sports are constantly evolving as we've seen in football with the move from the power run to the spread offenses and now to a hybrid of the two styles. With that said, do you see a change in the playing style of hockey by the time the Red Wings are competing for a Stanley Cup? And looking forward, how, do the, how does the Wings... Future roster makeup align with that. Okay, so I'm going to kind of pull a Ryan here and cheat on the answer because I don't think hockey evolves quick enough to be able to see an appreciable difference. And if I'm assuming the Red Wings are going to be good in five to ten years, I don't think that's enough time to be able to, you know, see the forest through the trees with how much things could change. So here's my honest-to-God opinion, and it's already starting to happen slowly and not a lot of people are catching on to it. The game's going to slow down. Oh, a lot. The thinkers are going to take over. The thinkers are going to take over and it's already happening. When was the last, like, and I'll use an example here, um, that, that will kind of make everybody who listens to this kind of really start to, to think about this. When was the last time you seen Dylan Larkin score a goal off the rush? It's, it was way less common where he just burned a defenseman wide, came in and scored like where it was just, he scored a goal. Because of his speed, not because he snuck in behind a defenseman and got a breakaway, not because, you know, whatever, but where it was his speed, he just got it, wound up with it and scored. He, he's done it recently, but not very often. No. He has learned to slow the game down, look for the play. You know, there's a reason why guys like David Prawn, who can't move, are still extremely successful in the NHL because they're smart. Lucas Raymond, not a great skater extremely smart. You need some skaters because you need that deterrent. You, you know what I mean? Like, I think the fast guys are going to become yeah. the deterrent, not the attackers. Like, okay, you have a speedster. We have a speedster. You want to burn right wide. It's not going to happen. You can't. So you, you force them to slow the game down. Now there's some guys, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, who can think at those speeds, which is why they're as elite as they are. Sidney Crosby was never fast. Patrice Bergeron was never fast. And 
Couple that with all the injuries in the game because of how fast the game has gotten. I think we're not going to slow down dramatically to the point where we were in like the 80s and 70s, but I I think it's going to start trending the other way for a while here. Uh, Butting off of that is starting to game plan the high danger areas, and I mean like scrambles and pucks in front. That's already been happening. Coaches know, coaches have known forever that that's the thing, but it's going to become a lot more structured to force those situations and no longer are the garbage men going to be looked down on. Um, scoring from the perimeter is not something that you can consistently do unless you're one of the the top, top percentile players or shooters in the league. The high danger, dirty goals, like that's how you score. It's not sexy, it's not fun, but teams are starting to recognize someone who can punch you in the nose, go to the net, take one to the teeth and bang in the rebound are just as valuable as a guy who will score from the perimeter every once in a while if not more valuable because it's more fun to watch. Uh, Other things, two goalies, like 40 and 40 or like 50 and 30 in terms of games, spending less on goalies, and this is again already happening, big, hard to play against defensemen who can still use their feet. They're not John Scott on the ice. They can still move. Like I said, the speedsters are going to be the defense. They're going to be the deterrence. They're going to be the... The, the attackers are going to be the thinkers. The speedsters are going to be the defense. Yeah, fully agree. Okay, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, and uh, we're going to go smash Evan's face into a cake. Thank you all so much for tuning in to our draft rankings, uh, our continued prospect profiles, the, the conversation about the cup. What's coming on Sunday is a pre-recorded episode that is going to be a mock draft that we're very, very excited to bring to you. Uh, it features our good friends Max Beltman and Prashant Iyer, and then uh, we are very, very close to the draft. So the the draft content is going to come to you hot and heavy here. Of course, Steve Eisman is probably going to make a trade or do something big, and we're going to have to record an emergency episode. But that's the plan for now. So stay tuned for that one on Sunday. We'd like to thank you, all of you for tuning in. Thank you all so very much. To all of our uh, patrons, we really, really cannot say thank you enough. To those who want to support but can't on Patreon, uh, another way you can do it is leave us a rating um, uh, wherever you tune into your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. It really helps us out. Um, and then also give us uh, tell a friend and subscribe. For now, we'd like to thank all of our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Ake Fur, Raymond's Missing Tooth, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Cider for Norris, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Burn Down Charts Don't Mean Anything, Carl Brutin and Nanaluski, Citizen High, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Dad, Please Come Home, It's Been Five Years, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek N. Stam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red 3, Ryan, a lot of swings, Hannah, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, that's what I appreciate about you, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Rose, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the tarpless goon, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebags Space Force, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Evans Lost Rangefinder, Frank Stanley, Ferk Bauman Lemon, All My Homies Use Button Lemon, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, 
James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Steven Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.